0: Welcome to another episode of the Goldust Podcast. Again, we want to thank all of our listeners for continuing to tune in. Our last episode with Harry Watlin was really well received, which is always nice to hear. Before we introduce today's guest, we do want to point any new listeners in the direction of our two books. Goldust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Quickly. And The Lone Wolf, a story about assumptions, authenticity and actions. Now, for today's guest, here's a little snippet of what to expect. You know, there
1: are educated people not intelligent, and intelligent people not educated. We have to get our head round what are we trying to do in society to drive character, to enable them to have the awareness with their skills of life in any industry to create a better society by helping and adding value to others.
0: We're excited to welcome. Steve Salis, onto the Golders Podcast. Steve is a teacher, a coach, mentor, speaker and author of the excellent book Educating Football. He's worked in education for over 20 years including as a vice principal transforming the environments he's been a part of. Along with his experiences in education Steve has worked within sports environments and teams as a mindset coach and mentor. He is currently involved at AFC Wimbledon where his vast experiences are playing a part in developing a winning culture there. Steve, welcome, and thank you for being on the Golders Podcast today. Thank you, David. Do we, we, can we tell the listeners
1: this is take two
0: or not? <laughs> We've already <laughs> <Yeah>. done it. <laughs> We've already done it. We'll we'll move on swiftly on that one. But thanks for thanks for throwing me under there.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. I'm looking forward to uh, the next sort of
0: sixty minutes of deliberation yeah of course so steve to us gold dust is about sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people what does gold dust mean to you
1: um well i was thinking about this when you sent it to me i think it's actually quite subjective to be honest i think it just depends on on the perception of the language but if if we want to simplify it probably knowledge that people haven't previously been able to access uh, I mean, access EBA, they may have known it and may have not been taught it properly before, or they may not have known that sort of nugget of information before. So, sort of anecdotally, probably two strands there, mate.
2: I should delve in a little bit around your past. You're a, a former deputy head teacher. You've worked with the England under-15s national squad. You support several Premier League players, Uh, football league players and business leaders you do teacher training and school CPD now easy for us to sort of decode what's going on but can you explain what you do and uh, how did you get into that type
1: of work well to be honest gents I was probably always already in it in terms of the schools that I worked in which were all special major schools so school improvement, when you get off obviously in the UK, they grade you, you know, outstanding, good, uh, requires improvement, I'm unsatisfactory. So when I entered four schools, I entered four schools that were were perceived, by the way, I say that, you know, tongue in cheek lightly as well, as failing. So you learn um, about school improvement pretty damn quick. And that's at the departmental level, that's at an operational level in the classroom, that's at middle management level, and then at senior management level, which was almost my journey. So, Believe it or not, you know, people see the glory of Instagram and social media, but I've been doing this sort of 20 over 20 years, 25 years. And, and all of my skills is, is really implemented um, from school strategic processes. So I think that um, my business model was almost organic yet pretty fluke. Um, what I mean by that was I, I was always weirded out with one teacher in the corridor changes lives and then the corridor teacher then the next corridor is not in a rude way, pretty damn useless. I was like those two teachers have got exactly the same qualifications so i was like how does that happen and so very early in my in my career i was surrounded by you know it was the biggest school in london 2800 kids it was a failing comprehensive but my old my old head of pe jake reed who's an absolute legend called our p department a school within a school meaning that we know all this language control the controllables we can't control what goes on externally but we can control what goes on when those kids walk down to the sports hall And by the way, 12 classes at a time. So it was, um, you know, even the kids lining up was was absolute chaos. So we had to uh, adapt pretty quick. We had to evolve. We had to teach great lessons. And the final thing I'll say about this, if you didn't teach great lessons, you get found out because the kids in South London would just tell you you're rubbish. So linking to the answer of what is my business model, my business is based around self-awareness because without that we're doomed. Um, And therefore, um number you know i've got like a five-step process to my business and step one is is get yourself in order really so i hope that sort of made a little bit of sense
0: well, your mantra is we will make you think differently to ensure great results what is it that you do to actually help people think differently
1: well i'm i'm very theoretically and research-based gent so and the reason i am and i'll say this in my book I've sat on the other side of teacher training for 20 years and people have talked at me so badly so many times. Honestly, the quality of the teacher training over the years is shocking. And they've sat at me and they've said, you've got to do it like this. And I'm like, well, that's not relevant to my children. You've got to teach like this. And I'm like, that's not relevant to my environment. So I was always really mindful of not being the person with the answers, but the questions. Because how how can I have the answers for kids in Brazil or China or Africa or Scotland who I work with at the FA there? with their communities and their, and their kids or players. And I can't do that. What I can do is provide a toolbox that solicits some research now around metacognition, around meta-learning, um, and I know they sound post terms, but they're game-changers too, to teach the learning industry. So I think that um, the reason I try and get away from that, if I do a keynote speech, and a lot of my keynote's quite like, you know, I've got some serious customers now, so I don't want them coming away from saying, oh, yeah, I'm not having Steve Sallis. He does what he's talking about. If you don't like me, no problem. You can't not like my research toolbox. So I think really, David, that's that's really the game changer for me is that I, I really do read a lot, and then I'll try and apply this opinion to actual facts. What
2: we'll intend to do on the podcast, Steve, is delve into that, what that toolbox looks like. But prior to doing that, you know, when you're working with groups, either in business, in a sporting setting, classrooms? How do you know where to pitch your content first? And then what lets you know you've got it right?
1: It's a, it's a quality question, Keith. Um, I think you know when you got it wrong as well. I think you're learning from that. Again, linking to self-awareness. Oh, I know I keep going on about my experiences in schools, but, guys, they were so tough. If you're not, if you're not delivering the kids are to say you're rubbish, all right, so pretty damn quick. You're learning, you know. You're reflected in the car, going, "I'm not delivering," you know. And I, in my business model, I've got something called "Are you the downgrade?" I suppose I was obsessed that, as a school teacher to not be the downgrade teacher, not be the person that, you know, I say every 15 year olds have a best teacher. So if you don't do what the best teacher's ever done, then you're downgrading those kids' eyes. So you've got to upskill yourself at a rapid rate. Um, so yeah, I sort of. Sort of lost you on that question, Richard. Really, sort I've of lost my way. But um, would just say the question again for me. I will. It's
2: when you work with groups, sports, teaching, classroom environments. How do you know where to pitch your content?
1: Yeah. I'll, what I'll lets you that, know you've got it right? Yeah, I get that wrong quite a bit. To be fair, I can't. I can't deny that. I think. I really change my tonality and group environments, individual environments, one to one. I beg the Wimbledon players right, right now, I beg them, if they don't understand something that I say, I'm begging them, please let me know. So that's the first thing, like basic bread and butter delivery, the empathy, the, the self-awareness of my own behaviours. Um, honestly, I used to beg the kids, if you don't understand this something, I used to say to them, please let me know. Know, and then and therefore obviously you know a lot of kids are wearing armour and they're not really sure so then you've got to build trust as you know that takes at least six to twelve months with colleagues or kids so yeah it's also not that easy but on a on a more strategic level gents the assessment for learning stuff that happens in schools the formative and summative assessment is a game changer really so what do i mean formative assessment to inform the learner you know what went well and even better ifs and summative assessment is looking at all the data and really, you know, looking at trends of data over over 2,800 kids is quite quite uh, challenging, but you, you learn how to do it. So I think a balance between, you know, um, yeah, balance between types of assessment methodologies really the the um, research stuff that really adds value to human performance.
0: Obviously, having an awareness of environments that we're working can help influence positive behavior, which in turn facilitates effective learning. But from your toolbox of strategies, what can you share with us that may help us in classrooms, dressing rooms, boardrooms, and sports environments?
1: I want to um give your listeners attention to behaviour for learning. So old school language, behavior management in schools, it's a bit old hat really. So I think that's important. So I'll ask your listeners to look up how behaviour impacts learning. People associate the word behavior, David, often with um, negative, don't they? So you say the word behavior in the UK, often people, people's perception of a language. So I think behavior for learning is really big strategies. I've written about that in my book. Um, I really, you know, if we're going underneath a behavior for learning, what does that look like? So that looks like uh, eye contact, that looks like engagement, that looks like tonality, that looks like that links to teaching and learning as well, because a lot of children don't want to speak in their in their cohorts of 30 so you know you, when you're doing the three before me which means seek three peers before you seek a teacher that raises levels of independent learning that therefore enhances people's understanding of themselves to go and behave in a way which goes to seek their peer before they seek their teacher and then we've got like think pair share square which is like get, making sure every kid has thinking time on questions you pair share it in twos and then you hit that into fours to lots of more subtle ways than the traditional class teacher asking one kid to say a world-class answer, and as I call it in my book, gents, 29 kids getting out of learning jail. They haven't even had to have access to that question, and then the teacher traditionally moves on to the next question. And so I suppose I'm obsessed with that detail of rigor. I think that you know I've been offsted trained as well, like the rigor of what people's perception of learning is and what it actually is. I think is I do think is quite a far way in the football coaching industry, as an example.
2: Well, being tuned into the environment, Steve, obviously helps to facilitate and uh, enhance learning. But in your opinion, what is it that makes some teachers, coaches more effective than others who work in the same profession? In your opinion, is it down to intelligence or is it simply down to them having a greater understanding of the how rather than what to teach?
1: Yeah, it's a good, good good one again. Context is king here, right? If you're working in a highly affluent school in a highly affluent area where well, those kids have to get A grades because the community and the head teacher says so, and you're teaching A-level physics or A-level physiology or a you know something highly technical, A-level, A-level maths, you have got to have those technical skills to be able to give those children or athletes, they're, they're acquired knowledge, but I suppose again, that's, a, that's a, such a tricky one because in the schools that I worked in, the kids didn't really care how intelligent you were. They just wanted you to really have a character in front of them and someone that inspired them and engaged. And in my book, I've got a chapter called the singer, not the song. So, you know, you can have all the content in the world, but you've got to be able to deliver it. So I don't want to be black and white with that answer to be honest, I think there's a, a lot of gray in the middle. I just think it depends on the context. Uh, you know, and I will deprecate myself here. If you ask me to teach A-level physiology, I'll be rubbish because I don't know anything about it. So there are there are kids out there that need that knowledge, aren't there? For you know, future sports scientists and physiotherapists. And I'm just not that man that's got that knowledge. So you know, when we say an expert, I was an expert. When I was head of PE, I'd go and recruit someone honestly that had done a uh, a degree in sports science and done a PGc PGc add-on instead of someone with a BA background, because traditionally the sports scientists would have better physiology knowledge than the average PE teacher training.
0: Steve, I think that what you've just explained there, it shows great awareness and leadership from your side that you know what it is you're good at, you know where your qualities lie, where you can help other people, but you also know that if there's somebody else in a better place that you can bring in to help, you do that too because it would be very easy for you to sit on your your high horse and deliver everything thinking you know everything and it not be as effective uh, and i think from that side just having an awareness for for whoever's listening whether you're a teacher or a coach or whatever that there are people in positions that may know something that in a in a subject that you don't that you, they can uh, they can pass on in a better way um now when a player and a student, a player or student, learns something new, the conditions which exist at the time are directly connected to learning. Any new learning is linked to the specific state that they're in at the time of learning. Um, So in the state of mind, how do we get in the right learning state to process new information?
1: Well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to get, you know, I'm in the pro football industry now, but all of my experiences gents are all from school. And I think like we talk about psychological safety in sport, don't we? But, you know, back in the nineties, Abraham Maslow was rammed down my throat about hierarchy of needs and, and safety and belonging. And if we don't get that in a school, you are banging trouble. And I suppose the challenge is that the kids go five lessons a day. And sometimes four or three of those teachers out of five are under uh, under the level. And therefore, when you're involved in school improvement, a lot of teachers don't want to work in these types of schools, and then you are just recruit in constant supply. So if you imagine a kid going from a good lesson to a bad lesson to a good lesson to a bad lesson, you know, and we're trying to change conditioned behaviour. You know, that is like hugely difficult. So yeah, it's in silo, obviously really straightforward. You know, if I've got my kids, but you know, from a leadership point of view, really challenging because you've got to have good staff and you know then again oh, is it we go down the born or made route we go down the finances route we go down the economy route because you can't just go and headhunt really good staff because they're quite expensive so yeah it's a really really gray area because you just need good staff and then without them you know in a football club let's look at academy academy managers. some of some of the wages in academy football are shocking right and if they want to go and you know really add value to young people's performance then then they got to up the wages so I'm not saying there's always a correlation between money and 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 quality, but I think that I'll give you an example, let me apply it for you. Loads of my uni boys have all got A licenses, but they stay in education because they're on 30 grand a year more than they would be in pro football, you know, at a leadership level. So they would like to be in pro football, but they just can't afford to do it. So I think that you know, football is an example in my world. It's still, you know, the CEOs have still got to liven up and start, you know, and start paying some proper wages if they want to take the academy seriously.
2: If you had to employ a coach or a teacher, would you consider calibre to, to be more important than the character or vice versa, Steve?
1: Well, again, in context, if, you know, if, if you need a head of strength and conditioning or you need some of that technical detail, then you've got to go and employ those ones with, with, with the calibre stuff. But generally Keith, most people that know me, you know, I was, bottom set, school myself, scrape some A-levels, and I call myself a failed footballer on Twitter. I I found learning a real difficulty, but I think most people do. If you say to the the average teenager, um, you know, the words intelligence, they would probably link it to this place called school, right? That's how people normally define intelligence. Uh, We know, like, you know, I'm going to chuck in another uh, sort of research base here howard Gardner talks about multiple intelligence you know intrapersonal intelligence and the ability to have the, a great relationship with yourself as an intelligent so we know that there's loads of people out there with qualifications and honestly not in a rude way gents they're rubbish so you know you need someone in your building obviously context specific that is going to add value in a multitude of ways yes tick the boxes And I know that some bosses are aware of that's your department do your job but I can't work like that and I never have like you've got to be interdisciplinary in every single way that you work you've got to connect with your people professionally and personally personally you've got to of course add value under your your outcomes and KPIs but in in pro football which is such a dynamic place you can't be silo in, in this world you know we call it the four corner model right but as you know They are so blended if if used effectively it's unreal
0: what's the secret to being a great coach or teacher someone that's a, a positive influencer and that people remember and refer back to you you talked about it a little bit earlier on about every 15 year old probably has a favorite teacher and i know sometimes that is just because it was the favorite subject but there's generally a reason behind why they have that person why they chose that person as the favorite what what do you believe that is
1: i'm sure you two are aware of this saying you won't remember what a teacher taught you you remember how they made you feel right but guys like for me that's really 70s like you know my job what's your job a teacher okay teach a kids stuff teach a player stuff whatever it is in your toolbox as a practitioner teach them something because How depressing that you have a player with you for five years and they remember you as a really nice person, but you didn't technically teach them anything to make them better. Now, let's just spin this around 180, right? Um, You're you're a teacher with subject knowledge. You teach a kid or an elite athlete something. They get better, they perform better, then they like you because they perform better because you taught them something. So I think that's where we need to be. Like being nice is for gents, it's quite standard, isn't it? Like being sincere, empathetic and genuine. But like our job is to teach people stuff and whatever that stuff is, that could be economics, business, art and design, football, leadership. We have got to add value to people's processes, you know, over time and that that for me, that's what a leader does. And by the way, a leader, finally a leader is, is also, Know, aware of what they don't know and that's when they go and get people to tell them what to do
2: it's a great response in regards to where we can stereotype people to be able to deliver certain things doesn't necessarily mean that what they're doing is it's in the sweet spots and they're effective at teaching or coaching the specific subject so if you were to get Two coaches, a teacher's delivering the same sessions. I think it would be a true or a fair assumption that we may get, they may get completely different outcomes. The saying, Steve, it's not what you say, but what people want to hear comes to mind here. But what does this mean for you?
1: Well, two. when I read the question previously to this call, it, it stood out after about half a second, because it just meant alignment and misalignment, Keith, to be honest, you know, and with, with alignment, we've got clarity, and with misalignment, we've got chaos. So the key to effective learning again, so if, you know, it's interesting, again, I'm not, I'm not football uh, industry bashing, but football just calls it coaching, right? But the education system calls it teaching and learning. So like, you know, again, trust me, what's this space? I'm waiting for the football industries to start calling it coaching and learning. Because what, the coaching, you know, my my favourite ever one-liner, gents, is just because you taught it doesn't mean to say the players learnt it. If I had a pound, for that being the biggest gap in the football industry, where coaches are saying to me, "Salis, Salis, I've taught that, I've coached that. Well, you've coached it, but they haven't learned anything. So again, aligning what's said and what's heard in terms of the soft skills, you know, it's very complex. The soft skills of me begging the players at pro football, I'm begging them, gentlemen, please, if you don't understand something, don't blag it. Please don't blag it and go, yeah, I understand. Just pull me and say, so says I don't understand anything that you're talking about. And actually, early when you talk about how do I pitch things, the challenge for me is as my tool toolbox gets bigger, I've got to be really careful that I don't over pitch content. And to summarise that, I was in a hit meeting with two deputy heads on Monday, uh, speaking about a school CPD, I'm delivering in January and i was going through all my content, what you want, what you don't want. And one of the deputies went, look, that's way too complicated for our school staff on session one. We need to implement that session two. That's great feedback from the deputy head, because I probably would have included it.
2: Because the, you know, from a coaching perspective, time is of the essence. Lots of coaches, Academy coaches, they've got, if we look at it age now, so we've got players from under 12s, maybe, as, just as an example. When they get taken on at that specific age, leading up to the next few years, they're taken on for two years. It's a two-year contract. And then beyond that, Steve, we've now got scholarships. We've got pro contracts. So time is of the essence so to be able to facilitate effective learning and to be able to dissect and appreciate what's take, actually taking place in front of us rather than teaching what we believe to be a programme, do you have any thoughts around, yeah, we've got a topic that we need to deliver, but what are we, who are we coaching it for? Are we coaching it for their need or are we coaching it to actually facilitate what it says on a programme?
1: yeah keith it's well, an unbelievable question and i'm going to tell you why teachers have caused havoc in the football industry Right? right they've also really added value in the football industry let me explain academies are now following a syllabus Academies previously didn't have a syllabus right now the reason syllabus has existed is because it means it means that the blaggers are getting found out because they can't just roll in on a thursday night a part-time coach and deliver a session which they feel you know is a safe, easy, lazy session. So what what the what the structure does and the scheme of work does is give a structure. But the problem, the difference between football and schools is you have a syllabus in schools because you have an exam in nine months, but footballers have an exam every Saturday. So the content of learning is totally different. So what you see and smell as a coach right obviously oh well, i can't do counter-attacking even though we didn't counter-attack well on saturday because the tick box syllabus says i've got to do this so we've lost the plot a little bit in football not in a rude way like people have gone oh right yeah we've got to have a syllabus but when actually any expert knows that you use the syllabus as a framework and you don't follow it like a robot but there's still clubs having to tick boxes because the rule book says so so please don't think again i'm you know being wacky for my ways but like come on like Football's not the same as school, so you've got to smell it in front of you. What's going on? And and in terms of learning, you know, revisit that at the earliest possibility and the earliest opportunity, and not teach what the textbook says. But that anyway. Welcome to my world. That's my opinion.
0: I think that Steve, comes with experience too of getting it wrong and also getting it right. But getting a feel of the environment because um, I. I, I do have to agree, you, you can put a syllabus or a curriculum in place. I think for probably less experienced people, it gives them something to go off. And I think sometimes they need that structure because otherwise they would be doing that part-time, turning up, just doing the basic, basic, just stood in a line and everyone's, you've got 20 kids. Behind them, taking one shot every 15 minutes. But the more it goes on, even, even with sessions, do you coach the session or are you coaching the players within the session? Because they're realistically, they're the ones that, that we're there for. We want to teach them. And I, I know you've mentioned about teaching, coaching. I, I think there's a similarity. I, you are teaching. You're in there to teach them. So we can give it a different term of coaching, but you are teaching, you have to go in there and help people learn. I think it's sometimes misconstrued that we have fancy sessions and we have to follow something when in reality, you get a feel for it over time of what is needed and what is not.
1: Yeah. I think the teaching and learning aspect has has to be driven greatly in football. I, I keep going, you know, when you're developing people, you're developing their skills maybe, articulate themselves deliver facilitate good questions but if we actually looked at the level of learning and the key to all of this gentlemen, is measuring the learning uh, how you measure it is like you know again a challenge i don't want anyone to think there's a concrete way uh, in summary to this question i definitely know what crap teaching looks like right but i don't know always what great teaching and learning looks like and I say that it's because I say this to young teachers, go and do what you do. Don't be the best version of me, be the best version of you and go and max out your super strengths to meet the needs of your personality. So I think that's the key, isn't it? Is that, um, yeah, I, I just think it's it's all in context and all in perspective to your environment. And the final thing about timelines with the time that you got with players, you can't do the same in two hours, it's the same you got with six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours. And in semi-pro football in the UK, you know, having worked with with jimmy bullard as you know like you know you can't teach the same content because you ain't got the time so again that that takes experience of of, of knowing pretty much what to include within reason of course
0: mm-hmm. well by facilitating positive behaviors it can accelerate and influence how we do learn in your line of work could you share some examples of where this has taken place
1: a lot of a lot of behaviors um, David is around around the self awareness process again. I mean, at Wimbledon we've we've applied uh, something called elite behaviours. We've got something called a brick wall. <laughs> we were in a meeting on Monday, um, and I messaged uh, Robo on a voice message, laughing to myself on Monday. Uh, no, sorry, Tuesday. It was the longest day ever. We're all knackered. We're creating this behaviours framework. It's half past five. We're in the training ground since seven thirty in the morning, uh, and we were creating this. It's called all in the blue. It's all about being a don and what those behaviours look like. So, actually, really, yeah, and on an applied level, given we, over the next six to 12 months, we're going to give the players an elite behaviors framework, which is going to be um, upskilling them around their own personality, really. A little bit to, you know, are you a happy Hoover or are you a happy hairdryer, are you blowing out love or giving it? Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Are you adding value with your language? Are you a good teammate? Are you an effective participator? Are you a self manager? Are you you know are we not me mentality, yeah, so I've just rattled off five or six things there, but that that's that's something that's twelve months away, by the way, like, and so when we're talking about processes, like that is tw- literally it might even be eighteen months away, but we're, we we no, we're really proud that we're doing this with pro footballers because I think it's twenty five years too late in in some buildings
2: Steve, you also mentioned thank you uh, by the way, uh us an insight to professional football and the environment that's being created, which ultimately creates a culture, hopefully uh, positive and productive for the, for the benefit of the players. You also mentioned about the brick wall. Uh, brick wall, Did you expand upon that. What, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, it's, it's more of a, a cultural framework linked to performance. So we've just got, they're just, they're just reminders. We've got this wall laid out, really big pictures in the changing rooms and at the training ground. know things of the methodology that we use tactically technically uh psychologically and physically so you know be the fittest team in the league that's that's one and how we measure that with our data analysis protect our fortress these little one-liner reminders what is protect our fortress and how does it feel you know in terms of in possession and our possession. um so yeah there's just two examples of of our brick wall they're just they're just really, the key to them is, again, a scaffold. When people say, did you play well, we now have a set of criteria, right, in these 20 to 25 concepts about whether we did or we didn't. And we're able just to be strategic with our measurement of our performances. Does that make sense? I mean, no no football match is the same, but I think any coach would agree that you do have a set of principles which you have to adhere to in terms of your processes to try and get the outcome. So my
2: understanding of what you mentioned about the brick wall, it's not a concept. It's, it's a physical, it's a brick wall, but it's actually got content on it that will actually help learning, revisiting, uh, Pointers for players to actually be able to see and display, and actually uh, contribute towards. Would that be true? Or uh, I'm, obviously, they're part of the learning, so I'm suspecting they'll be they'll have contributed to that brick wall, uh, and actually, maybe they're breaking down at the
1: brick wall. Of course, and you know, one of them one of them is around elite behaviours, so that's something that we're all driving, staff and players, and then. Uh, yeah, I mean again, just to clarify, this is another 12 months or 18 months away from you know a Robot says to me all the time, how long does it take to to change a school from a failing school to a good to outstanding school? Three to five years. The problem with football is that the managers don't get the time to change culture. So we've got to you know pick our wins as well at the moment. I mean, robo's unbelievable man, like, and I advise you to try and get him on this podcast because the guy's culture obsessed. He did things at the start of his tenure that I wouldn't have touched. I would have left until pre-season. He's like, look, I want to build this football club. I want to build it quickly. Now, as you know, when you want to try to build something, you need the people around you. Um, you know, we, not me. You need the team behind the team to be highly efficient and highly effective. So again, yeah, well, there's, loads of th- there's loads of things respectfully at the moment in our wall that we need to improve on. But the key, the final thing I'm going to say is, what I said to Robbo even two weeks ago, how are we measuring? You know, in terms of rigor, what the effectiveness of the wall is. Mm.
2: So effectively, what you're doing is you're reshaping behaviour, or helping to facilitate change, which in which is a consequence, change actions, and ultimately there's a behavioural a, a positive outcome at the end of that. So, I suspect there's an element of Training the
1: brain? I think I think understanding your brain is, is more important. And I, and I suppose that to link this in, gentlemen, so we've got some some meat to the bone, we don't find our players at Wimbledon and we're really proud not to find our players. Um, we just don't believe it changes behaviour. So we just don't think that, that that is the long-term benefit. If you, if you look at behavioural training, they'll say sh- short-term sanction or consequence to long-term reward. But at the same time, that's children and not adults. So what we're trying to do is get our players, and just let me get this straight: there's been some tricky meetings where the players look at the staff like we're mad. Like, you know, you, you know, one of what our captain said to our manager, you got to find our gaffer you got to find us. We're like, we're not gonna find you. Like that's not that's not gonna improve you. That's not where we're going. So again, um yeah, not easy. So, so, so I call it the folding sandwich, isn't it? It's like you've got a load of food in your sandwich, and you're just trying to keep folding, folding that food and that and that bread to try and keep all your food in the sandwich for as long as possible. And and the key to strategy is making sure you've got an eye on this stuff, and you don't you don't miss a trick. So, and I understand really what you're
2: referring to, train the brand, Yeah, does it link or understanding the brand. That's more for you and just and the staff rather than the players. Or would you get players who were quite, you yeah, very open uh, where they do want to understand more about what's, how we function as a, as a human being?
1: Yeah, I know I sound like I've got an answer for everything, guys, but I really have. So I did the chimp paradox with the boys, right, and with the staff and the players. So I was talking about the irrational part of the brain, the computer, and every single thing that's happened in our life affects how we see the world. Now the book doesn't actually talk about that, but I've sort of implemented a word called lens. So the lens is how we see the world. You don't see the world how I see the world, and I don't see the world how David sees the world. So understanding the, how the computer affects how you see the world. So after doing the chimp and telling them that the chimp was five times more powerful than the human, which is obviously the book called the Chimp Paradox from Dr. Steve Peters, the captain came up to me in a fantastic way and said, "Salis, I don't agree with you. I need to play with the chimp." Now, when we're looking at higher order thinking and critical thinking, welcome to my world. I was buzzing that I got challenged on it because he said that he needed the chimp. Now, welcome to my world. I'm cool with that. I don't give two to wherever he wants it or doesn't want it. What I'm doing is facilitating learning for them to absorb it over time, for then to be able to understand their own emotional state during performance and then try and make better decisions, right, with the chimp or without the chimp to even ensure that they're running more um, communicating better under pressure, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I'm gonna move on a little bit from, from that side of it. You've been now, Steve, in several different environments. So you've been school environments, sports environments and and business. What can elite sports environments teach business leaders to become more effective in their practice and vice versa? What can sports learn from business
1: yeah, there's something about sport which is just the camaraderie isn't it gents like it's just this just laughter that happens like i don't know why it is i don't know whether we can make fun of ourselves more i don't know the social science behind it but sport can definitely teach business about when sport gets it right about we not me now let me apply this for the listeners that may be not involved in, in team environments. I was six when I played my first game of football and I came on left midfield and the ball went over my head and my left back was getting rinsed by the right winger. And what do I naturally do at six? I chase the ball and help out my defender. We've got to be really aware that there's loads of people in society that have never, ever, ever been involved in team sports. But like we've got to be really careful of that. Let me apply. Uh, example number two, when I was line managing music, I had three music teachers in my department. I was trying to work out why one was very selfless and respectfully, the other two were very selfish. I then learned, and this is a, a very random social science experiment that the teacher of the music department, which was selfless was actually involved in her music career in an orchestra. And the two selfish musicians were, were soloists. Now, this is the most random science experiment I appreciate. However, I do believe that there's loads of people in business because they don't like sport and they may have just been not even involved in it at all, have no understanding whatsoever of what we not me actually means in in, in a Monday to Friday office. So me firstly empathizing with that because my lens is not their lens you can't just go you know like you know like when you listen to people that have been gold medalists you're like well i'm not a gold medalist i'm never going to be a gold medalist so sometimes those people quite hard to hear aren't they because you're like you're never at that level so i think the empathy is the first thing david like hugely hugely important but then the next thing is again giving them the scaffolded learning and the tools to really grow and evolve you know particularly my corporates over time with strategies you know like the johari window lencioni model around leadership trust accountability vulnerability so yeah just giving them the access to this stuff because you need to get the self awareness banked right again before they want the help And remember everyone this is the final thing some people don't want the help do they and and then linking to what business can 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 teach sport is all about i mean the great businesses are just strategic like you know not in a rude way sometimes football has no strategy whatsoever so i'm not going to you know, apologize for football bashing again like there is some really poor strategy in football and the final thing i'm going to mention a guy called andy Bate, and i mentioned him on all my podcasts that i'm on he runs tarmac who are the road builders the whole of the uk he runs the southeast region he's the best boss i've ever ever uh, mentored or worked with for two reasons and i call it in my book prove yourself or improve yourself, what's more important, as in a question. So his Southeast region, gents, prove that they're the best region in the UK by results and data and outcomes. But where this leader is fantastic is that he improves his staff more than any other boss that I work with. So he's proving that he's better compared to all the other regions in the UK, but he's improving his staff at such a rate that they actually get better at their job which therefore correlates to if you just get better, you'll probably prove yourself anyway. So I think that, yeah, I hope I've probably waffled on the answer a bit, Dave, so sorry, mate. I think that, yeah, they teach it over both things, but I do think being in both environments has really helped me with with more clarity.
0: Oh, absolutely, and another question to follow from it. What traits do you believe the high-performing teams and individuals possess across all environments?
1: They know they're super strengths, it's the first thing that's literally the top of my head. Uh, what are you brilliant at? I've got to bring in Pep here, right? This is I'm just guessing here about the science of Pep. Pep signed all these great individuals, and I imagine he sat them down and said, I'm asking you, I'm not telling you, I'm asking you to take 10% away from your individual game. And I'm asking you, please can you put that 10% into the team? Because those players do take 10% of themselves, I think, and put that 10% into how that fits on the chessboard of the team. So I do think that the great managers manage to get individuals, traditional individuals or mavericks, playing in a way which is more selfless than maybe they did under other managers.
2: So... To get that, Steve, the saying, there are no difficult learners, only inflexible teachers or coaches. In your opinion, are highly effective teachers more tuned in, or coaches? Are they more tuned in to the environment that they work in and have more flexibility in the behaviours, or would you disagree with
1: that? No, Kate, 100% you know, mental agility for a great teacher. I'm so lucky because I've just seen these great teachers day in, day out, like just unreal game changers. And so again, how, how crazy, you know, Carol Dweck is the most um, highest sort of prestiged educational psychologist in the world with her growth mindset theory. But how depressing is it, gents, right? This is really depressing that we ask children to have a growth mindset, and then we've got these teachers teaching them, that have got a teaching degree, which apparently says they're intelligent and they haven't got one themselves. All right, And that, that is depressing because it goes back to self-awareness. You know, there are educated people not intelligent and intelligent people not educated. We have to get our head round. What are we trying to do in society to drive character, to enable them to have the awareness with their skills of life in any industry to create a better society by helping and adding value to others.
0: Talk about the, the growth mindset, Steve, on top of that, and we wrote about it in our book around the Pygmalion effect, where you have teach it. And it was a, it was a study that was done, where teachers were told that certain children in the class were Basically, not smart. It was just random. It was a random test. These group these kids aren't smart. these kids are. And the teacher honed in on that that this kid is at the bottom of the class because I've just been told he is or I've been told she is. In reality, that was just the opinion. but that then proceeded to then worsen the lower end because the teacher was just focusing on the best students or, reword that the students would that were deemed smart now I think the term smart is like you said earlier on when people say intelligence they think about school about having school intelligence now I look at this and I I was good in school I was I was I was did well in my exams I also know people that work good in school that are very successful now but they're successful in different ways other than being good at exams. So I I find it quite, yeah, the growth mindset part with the teachers, the the kids are in there and teachers aren't always there to, to push and improve. Now, final question, what advice would you give to anyone that wants to improve the way that they engage the players that they work with, students that they teach? Uh, staff that the that they oversee. What advice would you give?
1: break this down into four nuggets. And by the way, I've also written Pygmalion effect in my book. So to get all geeky, that was from a study from Rosenthal and Jacobson, I think one of them was a head teacher. Um, So the higher the aspiration, the greater the performance, which is what we use in schools, by the way. So it's really aligned there with our thinking. So in terms of that, gents, I have to just end this on self-awareness, right? Knowing what you know. So I'm good at this and I'm good at this and I'm good at this. And I'm good at this because the kids tell me I'm good at it because I'll get feedback from parents. I'm good at it because the data says I'm decent at it. My results every year, my GC groups are great. I get X amount of players through the academy system, whatever it is, whatever your KPIs are. Knowing what you don't know, you know. And therefore often, People that don't know something in a crap culture are too scared to say, David, I'm not very good at this. Can you please help me? And leaders are often not having conversations around emotional intelligence because they're just obsessed with data and outcomes and not connecting the person behind the performance. So I think that to simplify it, driving self-awareness, Putting self awareness on agendas, putting self awareness on CPD, looking at people's super strengths, looking at what they're brilliant at, having a development tool in your building where you're absolutely upskilling people with good CPD. Or don't you, you know, if you ain't got a CPD budget, you don't have to do that. You just do triads, you know, three different people, and then you put it in the strategy timelines to actually meet. And the difference between education and football is that football, oh, yeah, we'll meet next week. Now, that meeting should have been organised three weeks ago, four weeks ago. That should have been organised at the start of the season. And that's where school strategy is unreal. We know on a Monday we're having an executive leadership team meeting. And we know on a Thursday we're having an operational meeting. We know that. And when we do that, it means that we're already always fighting the fires. And, you know, you work in some football clubs, gents. Uh, they're not even meeting, they're not even setting agendas and writing minutes and, and revisiting this stuff like the sandwich, the folding sandwich. So no wonder they're running blind because they're not actually able to measure what they're actually doing because it's just off the cuff. So yeah, I know I've waffled on that end answer, but it's just it's more driven around behaviours, culture, self-awareness, but also the self-awareness stuff has to be also around technical superstrums because you can't just be self-awareness about behavior, otherwise it won't work.
2: I'm going to disagree with you, Steve, around you waffling. But I've got another question related to your response. You mentioned the term um, things that you, uh, I've written it down, knowing what you don't know. How do you know what you don't know?
1: Well, I know that I'm rubbish at sports science and don't get involved in those conversations you know, I know that I'm not a great technical coach. So I don't really over overwhelm somebody when they're talking about technical detail of drags and turns and footwork. So I think that again, respectfully, you know, I do know what I don't know because like, I work in this industry. So again, I wouldn't be able to probably do that. You know, in another industry, but if I go back to my 21 year old self, I think I still would have known what what I don't know because I knew then I didn't know physiology and I didn't want to teach it. And when we had the meeting about who wants to teach A-level physiology, my head went down because I'm thinking, sod that for a laugh. That's going to put me under serious pressure. So I don't know why. I can't answer that question. It's a good question. I have got no clue why I'm not bad
0: at knowing what I don't know. Is it an... To add on, is that an ego or lack of ego because you do see people that may profess to know a lot in reality they may not know as much as they think they do but is it an ego thing so for you you've not you've got this what what would the word be obviously awareness but just security around knowing what it is you don't know yeah, do you know what, David? I think the security comes from knowing what I do know,
1: right? And I'm that confident about what I do. So then, stuff that I don't, because I'm not that—I don't have that feeling connected to. it, I'll just shut my mouth. I think. <laughs> I think. When you, I when you know,
2: when you know, you know. Let us know that
1: you know. <laughs> that's, that's metacognition. That's- I said a posh word right, metacognition. For the listeners, if they haven't heard of it before, it has two meanings. Right, how you know that you know something. Right? and I gave this to the media team at AFC Don's. So my work is not just around the players, I actually gave it to them to give them some higher order thinking. They're going to tell me against Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday. And meaning number two of Metacog is thinking about being a better thinker. There we go.
2: Now, there's, there's another, there's a book called uh, Daring Greatly by Rennie Brown you dropped in, I think, the, the securities, or the confidence, or the assurance, or even the environment, which can actually uh, instill certain behaviours from ourselves. You're looking down at someone, or you're looking across at them, uh, or you look at them as an equal, uh, wherever you sit on that. But Daring Greatly is actually exposing what we believe to be our shortfall, and it's exposing it, and be articulate enough, and Recognising that, and I think that's a great strength. It's wonderful to be able to share, particularly males, because I don't think we're very good at telling, sharing what we're not very good at, because we want to be perceived to be the, the master of everything. And really, we're we need we're just facilitating learning, and it takes a process, and equally, it takes a group of people coming together as a collective, to work in an alignment, both in mind and body. To to achieve a set outcome, uh, but what's very clear from where you were at is, you're working towards. I say a program. You've got something specific where what can be measured will be, and if it can't be, then you're, you're working towards how you can get it closer to a to some type of a, a success, whatever that may mean. Uh, the book that Steve's written, there may be another one coming out, but certainly it's called Educating Football, how teachers, coaches, and parents can develop a solutions mindset for the players, for anyone that's been listening to this podcast, and i highly recommend it to them to go out and acquire it. Now, if anyone wanted to,
1: to reach out to you, Steve, how can you be contacted? uh a bit old school gents just by phone or email or any phone call they can pick up the phone i do i do get a lot of linkedin messages and, and actually i do genuinely try and respond to every single one so linkedin's a good place for me to get to get through to me and obviously my socials uh solutions mindset for insta and just at steven salis for um twitter but again like if anyone wants to reach out for listening to this you know i, I say this very genuinely the door is open and i think the book to share this before we finish i don't sell the book on amazon i know i'm an absolute outlier and maverick for doing that but i try to someone's going to spend 20 quid on my book the least i can do is sign it so i'd rather honestly lose a bit of money from amazon to try and make sure that the person that chooses to buy my book i'm going to personally sign it and i know that's a bit weird and it causes me grief because i've got to get to the post office once a week but i think it's really important that i still remember eight years ago, I was a vice principal in a school and no one apart from the community of SE9 in South London knew who I was.
0: Well, Steve, look, I got to thank you on behalf of my dad and I for coming on to the podcast today. It's been, it's been excellent, really enjoyed the conversation. And I've no doubt that there has been some gold sprinkled on this one today. So Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for coming on and we'll uh, we'll look forward to speaking soon.
1: Loved it, James. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning into The Golders Podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's been produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more, also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you everybody.